0: Joe David Wilson has graduated from this life. Going forward, we will continue to honor his legacy, knowledge, and love of thy Lord by continuing to play sermons pre-recorded prior to his graduation. We invite you to honor his memory by attending worship services or joining us online for a further Bible study.
1: Welcome to In Search of the Mind of God we invite you to search with us the mind of god searching his mind we can always be sure our salvation will not be based on man's ideas or false feelings it will never be our purpose to promote any denominational doctrine of any religious group man is fallible god is not this program is brought to you by the port st Lucie church of christ 384 east midway road white city florida Bible study courses and personal teaching are available. We purpose to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified.
2: Start off. So we're glad that you're here, and I guess I'm doing this right. I don't know. Anyway, if you turn to the Bible, First John the third chapter and the twentieth verse. I started this last week. I want to continue, and probably take us another week after this. But I want you to get the message of this text. 1 John 3.20, if you've got a Bible. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Now, like we started last week, I want to kind of review a little bit and catch everybody up that wasn't here, or was working, couldn't be here. There's one thing you can't read, that's the heart. You can only tell by the fruits that you see. To read the heart, you must know far more than you're able to comprehend or understand by living in this world. Sometimes we can't even read our hearts. So how can we be effective at reading the hearts of other men? So the only one that can read the heart is God. Now there's one thing about God you need to understand. He sees everything open and without any confusion. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, I mean Hebrews, the fourth chapter. And you will see that in the twelfth verse he says, For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two edged sword piercing, even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow. And here's the part I want you to cue in on. And is a discerner of the thoughts. And the intents of the heart. God can tell what our heart is doing. Now, there's a lot of people look at this passage as though it's a downer. Gee, you know, if God can uh, uh, be my judge, then I can't win. Because it's God who is perfect. It's God who has uh, never committed a sin. And it's God who is always ready to judge us, we think for everything that we do that is false. But what we don't understand, it is God who gave His Son to die for us on Calvary's tree. Turn with me to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter, a beautiful text, one that I think we don't spend enough time either memorizing or understanding. And it begins with verse 31. And this has got to challenge your mind. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, how can you prove that God is for us? One, look at verse 32. He spared not His own Son. Number two, He delivered Him up for us all. Shall He not then, number three, freely give us all things? How can you prove that God is for you? Well, look what God's done. Then look at verse 33. Is there anybody that can lay a charge to God's elect? No, it used to be that the devil was able to do that. Satan. That's one way we got his name. But God justified. In other words, God determined that we can be justified. And who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather than is risen again, is he at the right hand of God? who also make of intercession for the saints. What is it then that God has not given us? What has he not done? Now there's a lot of people that don't understand that. And they're always concerned about when our heart condemns us. And of course what I wanted to do was take the initial uh, thrust and look at it in a way that we don't look at it. Because there is a time when our heart does not condemn us. When does our heart not condemn us? And uh, by the fact that it doesn't condemn us, it's the time we want to look at it. There are times when we have confidence to try and pray. There's times when we do not doubt the love of God. There's times when we know we are His children. There are times... That we are sure, without question or doubt, that we are the children of God. We check and know we've obeyed the gospel. There have been blessings that have come our way, which has allowed us to have confidence and assurance. Yes, we've got to be approved of God because look at what's happened in my life. And it wouldn't be but for God that this would happen. It's easy a lot of times for us to look at the opposites. And as we look at the opposites, we can continually check our lives and see. And then there's another thing about God. God remembers it for a long term. We remember it for a short period of time. The love of God is greater than our hearts because He knows the whole time of our service. Instead of just the last few weeks when we've had trouble in the service. He remembers the good. And if we're living the Christian life, we have a blessing that we've not considered as we should. It's far too wonderful, I have to agree with you. But this blessing which is not considered is the fact that God forgets. He doesn't know our sin. He doesn't remember it. He has amnesia to our sin because of the blood of Christ. And He's in a light that dwelleth in a, in a form or a fashion that's above all the spiritual darkness which we can have encircle us. And therefore, what God sees is from the outside. What we see is from the inside. And seeing these things, God can reckon that we are servants of His. That I went to the example of Simon Peter. You know, it was Simon Peter who, after he had cursed and sworn tonight that Jesus was the Son of God, Wouldn't even come back to the fellowship with the other disciples. And so Jesus sent after him. The accusing heart and guilt-ridden mind that Peter had is an example, I think, of what we have a lot of times in Christianity. We remember the all-knowing God, but what we don't remember about the all-knowing God that he is purposely and encouragingly for our sakes loved. And that the all-knowing God has determined and has decided that he will forgive us. And when we repent because we've obeyed the gospel, we can have a means of prayer through his son Jesus Christ. He came to old Simon Peter. After Simon had cursed and swore and denied him, he said, Simon, lovest thou me more than these? Simon was kind of aggravated and embarrassed, so he didn't answer Jesus the way Jesus asked him the question. And he said, hey, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. Jesus didn't say a word. He just let it go for a few minutes. A few minutes he came back to me. Simon, Simon, son son of Jonah, or Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? Peter looked at him and said, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee like a brother. I don't love you as God. I love you like a brother. Jesus didn't say a word. You see, what Jesus knew is what Peter was ashamed to admit because Peter had cursed and sworn and denied that he'd never knew him, much less know him as the Son of God or as God. So Jesus comes back the last time and he says, Simon, Simon, Simon Barjona, do you love me like a brother? Peter just overwhelmingly embellished Christ. He said, Lord, thou knowest all things and thou knowest that I love thee. Listen again to the question of Simon Peter, Lovest thou me. What could Simon say? You have my word on it, Lord? (laughs) Well, he had Simon's word on the fact that he never cursed or swear or denied he ever knew him. Or could he say, Lord, look at my past history? Look at my part. What had just happened with Simon Peter? and him denied that Jesus was the Son of God. So when our hearts condemn us, we can turn to the God who is on our side and who's greater than our hearts. He does not all the time understand what we all the time keep in our present mind. He judges by failure and success by betrayals and triumphs, by victories and defeats. And the secret part of all this is that a lot of times all we do is judge ourselves by the defeat. You know, there's a lot of times that we as children of God make it far harder on ourselves than it should be made because all we can remember of the past few days or the past few months are the times we failed the Lord. And every time we go before God in prayer, or every time we come to meet around the Lord's table, or every time we talk to somebody about Jesus Christ, the thing that's foreboding and always present in our mind is, Lord, I've failed. I've been a failure. But we forget what the Lord counts as victory. We forget of the times and the trials and the temptations that we have written over and above. We forget that we've been victorious. And if you remember the times of victory, sometimes the times of defeat and failure, not are made lighter and made easier to bear. But if God has forgiven you of those sins, What's the only thing God remembers? The successes. Now, that's just pretty decent. Somebody says, well, can you be sure God's going to do that? Well, let's just turn to the book of Hebrews, the 12th chapter. I did this last time, and then we'll get into the part that we're going to be talking about this week. This is one of the greatest verses in Scripture that you can read. And if you don't know this or have it committed to memory... Man, you need to memorize this one. Because this is a tremendous verse. Look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter. And Paul, as he's writing, I mean the 8th chapter, as he's writing to these Hebrew brethren, says, God is speaking here. Are you with me? Hebrews 8 and 12. I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more more. Now let's just run kind of a graph. And let's see since you started as a child of God. You started upward. And then you fell back. And then you went up just a little bit, but you fell way down. And then you went up a little bit and you reached the crescendo and had a mountaintop experience. But then you fell back. And then, you know, all this graph work will show you the type of life that you've been having as a Christian. But as God sees it, these are wiped out. These are forgiven. And He doesn't even remember them. Oh, this paints an entirely different picture. And the Lineal run of your life in Christ looks a whole lot different than it would if God remembered all these things. But see, God has chosen to forget. Now this word here that's used in the Greek language for forget is the word from which we get amnesia. Have you ever had amnesia? Never have. Sometimes I sure wouldn't like a good case of it. Just like Ray told me the other day when he was walking by me in the hall, I told him I showed him how my coat was and how I could pull it out. And I said, Ray, look what I've been able to do since I had the flu. He said, do you have it now, Joe? I said, no. He said, you better get you another dose of it. If it's done you that much good, you better get you some more. Well, there's a lot of times that if I had the opportunity just to catch the words that had just issued from my mouth how more thankful I would have been the easier my relationship with my wife or my children or some business client or something would have been just look how much better off now God He's not trying to print a picture by the writing of John that is always doggedly down on us and always looking to to destroy us in hell and always trying to defeat us because, you see, God has an investment in my soul and spirit. He paid a down payment. And it's called the blood. Now, folks, just guess whose blood he paid down. Just guess, whose blood washed my sins away? Just guess, what an investment that God placed in me in paying down this price. And then he made it possible that this blood can continue to wash away my sins as I walk in the light. And since this blood continues, I am continually forgiven Since he has decided, and it's his decision, not mine, and I'm sure glad that he has this decision. Since he decided to not remember, how much time do I spend wasted in prayer and saying, Lord, will you forgive me of the sin that I committed back so-and-so, or the sin that I don't feel like I've been committed? Now, we talk about, in the church of Christ, believe it in the Scriptures, and we pretty well decided that Jesus knew a little bit about what he was talking about in Mark 16, 16, when he said, He that believeth that is baptized shall be saved. Now there are some of our brethren that don't believe that. They think their sins that the blood of Christ can't forgive. They like to the study the marriage and divorce question. And they like to the hammer with a lot of people on that. But most of us have come to the conclusion, now Jesus was right, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And so when people are baptized into Christ, we call them a new creation. And we do that because that's what the Bible teaches. We call them a new creation, a new creature. Uh, they're born again. They're added to a new family. They have a new father. They have a new high priest. They have new brothers and sisters. They're in a new family. And that's what Jesus said in Revelation. Behold, I make all things new. We decided that's pretty good. We could even come to the conclusion that that'll work. But my friend, we don't believe. We can't bring ourselves to the place, a lot of us. Because we are so guilt-ridden. We commit, somebody told me the other day, well, Joe, I just keep committing the same old sin over and over and over again. And how do I go to God to keep asking Him to forgive me of that same sin that I committed over and over and over? You know, it's kind of interesting to me. If you go to God and say, Lord, you know, I, I, I committed this sin. i, I got to be honest with you, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to do everything I can to correct it. I want to live a life that I don't have this in my life. I want, to, I want you to forgive me. Seek to forgive me. And if we'd shut up right there, we'd be in good shape. But you know what we add? Again. And then we say we believe in the Word of God. You wouldn't ask again. If you believed you'd been you have been forgiven the first time. Oh, it's not a fault, I guess, that the Lord has for a lot of people, but it's something that we need to understand and need to know. Our failures, if we're in Christ, are not recognized. Because when God forgives a sin, The Bible says he throws it to his back. Now, if God knows everything, he's everywhere. He's omnipresent, omniscient, and omniperious, and omniscient. What is it that God doesn't know? Where is it that he can't see? Where, would you pray, tell me, my friend, is the back of God? See, so you could come up from behind me, from behind me, and, my, and I'm not looking, and I'm not aware or suspecting, and you could come up and you could harm people from their back. Where's the back of God? Yet the Bible says when God forgives the sin, he throws it to his back. Now, if you find his back, you probably find a collection of a whole lot of things. And it says in another place, when God forgives the sin, He parts it as far as the east is from the west. Ah, Can you tell me how far that is? Then it says, when God forgives sin, He gets amnesia to it. But our problem is, we don't believe. So we go back to God. We committed the same sin. We're working on it. Now, of course, if you don't pray in a realm... Whereby you're repenting and trying with all your earnestness to do better. You're making mockery and God's got enough sense to know better than that too. But if you're trying to do the very best you can, don't insult God. And go to Him in prayer and say, Father, if you'll forgive me again. I don't know, have never had God speak to me I'm not like some of these holy rollers. They just have a whole lot of things that I never heard of happen to me. But I've never had God speak to me, but if He was to speak to me while I was speaking to Him in prayer and I said, God, forgive me again, He might have looked down and said, Joe, again? What do you mean, again? When was the first time? I forgot that, Joe. Well, you know, you're kind of dumb if you bring up stuff that gets you in trouble that you didn't need to bring up that you don't need to have trouble about. The second time you brought it up... Amen, walls. You'll get it, okay? But the idea is, if God is true, if Jesus told the truth, if the Word of God is profoundly correct, when God forgives sins, He gets amnesia to their sins, and you've taken out all the low valleys, or you've taken out the sins you've committed, then God sees the highs and the joy and the thrill of your service to Him. I'm going to tell you right now. I'll take the second chart any day over the first. Sometimes when disobedience is shameful and we're walking unguardedly in our Christian lives, and don't say that this doesn't happen to you or me. Sometimes when we're not as prayerful as we should be. Sometimes when the heart is not in service to the King of kings and Lord of lords, Sometimes when we attend the services, and it's a sermon I used to preach, been to church, but I uh, missed the worship. You ever been to a place in an assembly where you just... It's like I'm watching movies. I was watching a movie with David and Amy the other night. Well, I was there for the first little bit. Then all of a sudden, I just went off into Never Never Land. And what woke me up, it was coming to a conclusion, I know because the music was louder and stuff, and when it woke me up, it was all over but the shouting. And so I had some questions I need to Well, they say, you were there when the movie was going on? Yeah, I was there. My wife gets mad at me. She can't stand it. She takes me to see some of these movies. And I'm feeling real good, and I'm going to sit down and be a good boy. If I can get enough popcorn, I can make it for a long time because it keeps me busy. But for some reason, that stuff's so dull and so boring to me. It can't keep my attention. So after a little while, I get comfortable. And if nobody's not hitting a seat or something you know, around me, to, come, I, I just go off into Peacefulsville, man. I'm just as peaceful as I can be. And I don't know how I have the knack about the time it's going to close or conclude. I get to waking up, but I get to wake up. She'll look over at me and she'll say, you didn't see it, did you? No. Ain't no use to lie. Now, where my eyes open, I really don't know because I can't see my eyes. Because it's dark in there usually. But by seeing it as a man, she didn't get to notice enough and figure out the... No, I didn't. You want to tell me about it? Well, that makes her mad because she don't want to tell me. Well, that's the way some people are when they go to the worship services. When the preacher starts, they're there. They're vibrating. They're enthused. But boy, you get into the service a little bit and you go home with them and say, how did you like the sermon today? Good. Was there any questions that you had? No. Well, now there's no study that I make that I probably don't have questions to and I figure if somebody's listening to me, they got to have some questions because I can't do it perfect and right. So we go a lot of times, and we bind ourselves with our feet in the what the Bible calls the mire clay. We have a deadly game that sin has arisen in our hearts, and the sad part about this deadly game is that we don't see that sin condemning us. You know, sin is so habitual. And our conscience can be seared. And we can get to the place that there's just no warning that comes to our minds. Now, other sometimes sins are are so false to the Christian life that when we commit them, they're self-condemning. But the world is real. Real and the world is dark. And there's sometimes in living the Christian life we just are not doing too well by the standard that we have determined we must live in order to go home to be with God in peace. There's such an hour that if our hearts are committed to God's love and we've been obedient to Him and do everything that we can, there's just a, not a whole lot there that we do that God can be proud of or we can hold up in His presence. In these hours, in this period of time, God who knows the past and the future, God who knows we are better than our worst and this is what we don't understand. He knows our better. And He knows our better is better than our worst. Now, knowing these things, God is greater. Remember the prodigal son? The prodigal son got his grocery money and he took off. And he went out there, but it wasn't bothering him at all, wasting all that money. He didn't think that he was going to ever come up to a reckoning time. And nothing would have deterred the prodigal son except, now this is scary, but listen, the love of God. You see, I have run into a lot of instances where people don't understand this, but maybe I don't. You might decide for yourself. I think there's a lot of times that God has intervened in our lives when we don't understand His intervention. There's people that I know that have been faithful and been children of God that have quit the fight and got out of the battle. And for the last year or so of their life, they've been so beleaguered and so plagued by pain and disease that they're forced to come back to the gospel. Then, in that period of time, can be comparative to the prodigal son in the pig pen. Who put that boy in the pig pit? Well, we've often wondered. Somebody says, well he put himself there because he didn't have any friends, didn't have any grocery money. And the worst thing that a Jewish numbleman could have done was work the pigs, because you know they hate them. Them and the Muslims hate pigs. I don't know. Just if they'd send me the pork, as long as they'd send me the oil, we'd be happy. But his hunger became so great that it made him come to his senses. Now, I keep telling people, you don't want to challenge God. You don't want to take a stand against God, because you just don't know the power of God. And there's times that God, if He loves you, and there's no question that He does, and if He has an investment in you, and there's no question that He does, and then if He continues to invest in you, and there should be no question that that should continue, He might cause you to have to come down to your knees. He might take the wonder and the glory away from your little world. The prodigal son was brought to remembrance. And you know what he remembers? Home. It brought him and made him come to his senses. Remember that the blood cleanses all our sins. The Bible says, "Though your sins, be as scarlet. This will be white as wool. And in the dark hour, when we forget this, we're committing a sin that our hearts might be seared so that we don't even think it is a sin that we're committing. When we have hatred against our brother, or when we have variance against children of God, when we think that we get even with God by destroying somebody who's a member of the church. But you see, God knows our weaknesses. He knows our frames. And remembers that we're nothing but dust. He remembers that our faith, which has produced good works, and our prayers that used to keep us in the presence of God has not been on our minds. And in the dark hour of the day or the night, when pain and anguish and torture our life is fleeting, It is a great joy and privilege because God knows who we are and what we are. We can turn to God in prayer. He knows and is knowingly merciful. He's a being that will lead the merciful home. There's a story that many times I tell when I get to this part of the sermon I might as well tell you there was a young preacher of the gospel who was going to get his first job. And when he got his first job, he went over what they called dead man's gulch. It was a gorge that you had to pass through. And in this gorge, there were a lot of people that disappeared and were killed. Now his job had to be on the other side of that gorge. And back in those days... You didn't have a bicycle, you didn't have a motor scooter, you didn't have a car, you had two feet. And he figured that if he got up and got to work in, um, got to work at a certain period of time, he'd get to that gorge about the time the sun had come up. And he did. And he walked through the gorge, looked around scared to death, but saw nobody. Got on the job and got to working And all of a sudden, he forgot what time it was because he got lost in what he was doing. And he worked so long that before he knew it, night was beginning to fall. And for the first time, it hit his mind, Oh, mercy! I'm going to get to that gorge in the dark. And he could, as a young man... Think of all the horrible things that were going to happen to him as he crossed that gorge. So he began to walk. And he wasn't making enough speed, so he began to walk faster. And so he began to go a little, almost a trotting run. But the sun was going down faster than he was the around. And he got up close to that gorge And he looked on the other side of that gorge, and he said, Oh my God, look over there. There's a lantern over there. I see somebody moving. And he knew he was dead. He could just tell then that there was no way he was going to live. When that lantern was swinging back and forth and he could see the movement, he heard a faint voice crying out to him, TB? TB is TB TB? Is that you? It's your mother, TB. I got worried about you. And it came to lead you home. Oh, my friend. You talk about a welcome sound. You talk about a welcome voice. You talk about a young man that was overwhelmed and in love with his mother. She didn't know but in his mind she'd saved him. Like a mother... She was always considerate and concerned about her son. And she didn't want him on the first day of his job to have trouble that would cause him not to be able to get home safely. And so like mothers will do. And mothers are like this, you know. She got her lantern and she went walking toward her son. She knew what path he would take. She knew what dangers he would go through. She knew and reckoned. And so she didn't know what TV was worried about. She didn't know about the fears and the anguish and the torture and the torment he put himself through. She didn't know these things. What she did know was that she loved him because she was his mother. Now, friend, if mothers can love you that much, how much can God love you? So when you're down and out, lift up your head and shout. Because God loves you. And greater is God than our hearts. And greater is the love of God than we ever have the right to comprehend. And if our heart condemns us, yeah, well, that's just the way it is with humanity. But greater... That our hearts is God. And if He loves you and He's paid that down payment and made that investment in your soul, you've got somebody that votes for you that nobody else can stand against you. Like Paul said, what do you think of these things? If God be for you, who can be against you? He that gave His only Son How shall he not much more give you all things? And who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? It is God that justifies. It is Christ that has forgiven and caused forgiveness. And who can judge the children of God? Boy, these are things that we should think about a whole lot more than... Well, I'm just not making it. I'm not cutting it. I'm just not getting the job done. You probably aren't. I'm probably not either. But we as a child of God have a secret weapon. And this secret weapon is God. And when God forgives, He forgives. Now you take out all the sins that you think have damned you to an eternity in hell. And then turn around and look at all the victories that you've won in Christ. And now you tell me when God sees you what he has in mind when you approach him in prayer. You're here to respond to the invitation of the gospel. Will you come as we stand and sing? Go out the light.
1: Glory. We hope you have profited from today's study of the mind of God. If you would like a tape of today's program, write to the Port St. Lucie Church of Christ, 384 East Midway Road, White City, Florida, 34982. Remember, never take man's word, only God's word. The Bible, demanding a book, chapter, and verse, for everything you accept as belief. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of In Search of the Mind of God with Minister Joe Wilson.
0: As we continue to grow the church and carry the legacy of Joe David Wilson, in this next segment, you will hear sermons from the current preachers here at the
3: Port St. Lucie Church of Christ. Technology. Good morning, and thank you all for to come here this morning. I want to go over a subject that a lot of times we overlook. And um, we we, we overlook this subject because we're fascinated with trying to grow and strengthen ourselves in the Word of God. And what we end up doing is we overlook housekeeping. Uh, That's probably the best way to put it. We have everything everywhere, but yet we don't focus on what we're supposed to be focusing on sometimes. We often get distracted and need to remember, as with any family, there will be disagreements. The title of my sermon this morning is, Hast thou ought against thy brother? All the devil wants in his stay is to cause division and controversy in the church of Christ. This is his main goal. He hates those that he can't lure and help him shovel coal in hell's fire. What I'm going to talk about today is controversy in the Church of Christ. Let's have an example to explain what I'm talking about here. We're going to use a couple characters in this sermon. We're going to call one John, we're going to call one Joe. John is a business owner. And Joe is an employee. Both these gentlemen are members in the Lord's church. Joe has been working his knuckles with the bone, and John has been by his side working. Instead, he has, has also been working, but instead he's been working in the office. So as time passes by, John decides to put it out in the paper. It's necessary for him to hire another employee so he can grow the business. They hire a guy named Jerry. Jerry is a new guy. So we're going to have John, and the only way to keep this straight in my mind is to write it down. So we're going to have John, the business owner. We're going to have Joe, employee. And then we're going to have Jerry, we're just going to call him the new guy. Can you all read that, or is my handwriting too sloppy? All right. So John puts an ad in the paper for a new employee. This employee starts and is working well for a while. One day, Joe comes into work, and the new employee, let's call him Jerry. Jerry says to Joe, well, it would be nice if John were here to help us. Joe knowing that John's doing the business side of the, the the company, blows it off as ignorance for a new employee. The devil knows that there is a way to get to everybody. What he keeps doing is the devil keeps continually tapping the fence, seeing where the weak, weak parts of us are. He continually prays. He continually prowls. He continually tries to figure out, okay, well... If it's, if it's the, not the guy's vanity, well, maybe he's got a problem with this, or maybe he's got a problem with this, and you can come up with whatever scenario you want to come up with. But he's going to continually try to weaken the brethren. The devil knows that these two members of the church are strong members of the church, and the one thing the devil hates is somebody that he can't control. His primary goal is to take one, or, if he can, both to hell with him. So he starts passively trying to touch and find the weakness in this fence, but he's also very aggressive. And he has a purpose. Jerry makes this little comment, Well, I wish Joe was here working by our side. It doesn't sound like anything. But Joe goes home because he thought about it throughout the workday, and he speaks to his wife about it. Him and his wife both come to the conclusion, yeah, it's just a guy that doesn't know what he's talking about. Joe is a strong member in the church, but the devil works to plant the seed of discord in his heart. Now, what the devil is trying to do here is, when he can get to Joe, or if he can get between Joe and John, Jerry will not ever have the chance to listen to the gospel of Christ being preached. So now, Joe, John, and the new guy will all go to hell if the devil gets his way. It's not just one or the other with the devil. He's an opportunist. He's going to take whatever he can get and however he can get it in order to break up the church. So he will keep Jerry, uh, so the devil patient and cunning, drops little innocent comments over the next few months. This one was, it would be nice if John was here to work with us, to Joe. So let's get back to the example that I'm trying to use. Joe goes home that night, like I said, he talks to his wife and tells her about his day. He mentions that the new guy made a pop comment. Says it irritated him but at first, but then he blew it off. Later that week, Joe takes off for a family event. You can come up with whatever reason you want. Say he was sending his oldest boy off to the military. It doesn't matter. He had to take off for some kind of family reason. Jerry notices the opportunity to work with a new owner, because now John has to fill in for Joe. And he says to John, Well, I wish we all got paid for this time off. John looks at Jerry and says, No, no, if you don't show up to work, you don't get paid. Oh, that's not what what, uh, Joe said. So he uses the opportunity to sow more discord. Trying to keep things productive at the job. He says, well, I'll talk to Joe about this when he gets back, like a brother in Christ should do. The devil now has potentially planted two seeds. He's planted a seed with Joe, and he's planted a seed with John. John, just like Joe, goes home and talks the situation over his wife and blows it off as rookie ignorance as well. A few days go by... Joe is still not at the job site he's still at a family event and something at the job site goes sideways real quick Joe has to come up with a bunch of money and that morning because Joe had to fly back in is late to work because the seeds planted by the devil and allowed to germinate Joe or John blows up on Joe see I told you I had to get him straight John blows up on Joe Joe fires back and says something that they both regret. Now the devil has cultivated his first crop. In 1 Peter 5, verse 8, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Like we said before, John, aggravated and stressed out, lashes out on Joe back. Joe, completely caught off guard, retaliates, and says something again that they both regret. The Bible, the Word of God, has many references on this subject. Also, many warnings. Galatians 5 and verse 26. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, the work week is over with. Joe and John, still members of the Church of Christ, come to the church to partake of the Lord's Supper and to worship. And the two brothers in Christ show up at the services, normally where they sit together and study with each other, support one another, sit on the same pew on the front pew, Now, one sitting on the front pew, one sitting at the back door, or one sitting on the back pew with his feet pointed towards the door. Now, what does the word of God say that needs to happen between these two brethren? Or, can they continue as is, as long as the church doesn't know about their argument on the job site? And can they just let things go? Leviticus 19, verses 17 through 18 says, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor, and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against thy children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Or this, I am the Lord, means in the authority of. God's telling you, I am God, you will not do this. Let's, let's look at another place in the scripture in the New Testament where we can give another where we where we are commanded in this current covenant. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 29 through 32. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers, unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed under the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Brothers and sisters, those who have been washed in the blood of Christ... We simply cannot allow the devil to create divisions among us. Let's ask another question. How are John and Joe supposed to go before the Lord in prayer to partake of the Lord's Supper? How is this supposed to work? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17, "...now in this that I declare unto you that I praise you not that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when ye come together in church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When ye come together, before, therefore, in one place, that is not to eat the Lord's Supper... For eating in eating, every one taketh before the other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another one is drunken. What? Have ye not houses to eat or drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame then that have not? What shall I say unto you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. What's going on here in this scripture is that the have and the have-nots were having an argument. The haves were bringing in, they were eating in front of the other brethren... And there was a class division. So what's going on right here is they're being scolded. They're being scolded because one was looking down upon the other. We're all washed in the blood of Christ. We're all equal. There are no divisions amongst class in the church. Because one pulls up in a Bentley and the other one pulls up in a Yugo, it makes no difference when you walk through these doors, when you commune around the Lord's Supper, when you partake of the Lord's Supper, there is no class difference. We're all to edify, love, and support one another. And when he had given thanks, he'd t- he break it, and he said, Take ye, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup in the New Testament, in my blood, this do you as often as ye drink it, in, rem- in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat of this bread, we showed this this morning, and drink of this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. There's a warning. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the the Lord unworthily shall be guilty in the body of the blood of the Lord. So let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. You see, we cannot afford to hate or have aught against our brother. This will cost us our souls. We cannot try to serve the Lord and have such a problem that we can't even prepare ourselves to commemorate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior Christ. Now let's turn up the heat just a little bit. Now Now that I declare unto you, I praise you not that ye come together, not for the better, but for the worse.
0: If you enjoyed today's sermon, read our regularly updated blog for insightful articles by visiting us online at pslchurchofchrist.com. If you would like to watch previous sermons, they can be viewed on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash pslchurchofchrist. Connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pslchurchofchrist. Or if you prefer to visit us in person to learn more on Sunday morning at 9:30 a.m. and 6 p.m as well as Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. And you can visit us at 384 East Midway Road next to Walgreens. See you next week.